0: story 13 of the sea stories this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org reading done by jules harleck sea stories edited by cyrus townsend brady story 13 in the gulf stream from at last by charles kingsley the appearance of the first fragments of gulf weed caused quite a little excitement and set an enthusiastic pair of naturalists a midland hunting squire and a travelled scientific doctor who had been twelve years in the eastern archipelago fishing eagerly over the bows with an extemporized grapple of wire for gulf-weed, a specimen of which they did not catch. However, more and more still would come in a day or two, perhaps whole acres, even whole leagues, and then, so we hoped, but hoped in vain, we should have our feast of zoophytes, crustacea, and what not. Meanwhile, it must be remembered that this gulfweed has not as some of the uninitiated fancy from its name—anything to do with the Gulf Stream, along the southern edge of which we were streaming. Thrust away to the south by that great ocean river, it lies in a vast eddy, or central pool of the Atlantic, between the Gulf Stream and the equatorial current unmoved safe by surface drifts of wind as floating weeds collect and range slowly round and round in the still corners of a tumbling bay or salmon pool one glance at a bit of the weed as it floats past showed that it was like no focus of our shores or anything we ever saw before the difference of look is undefinable in words but clear enough one sees in a moment that the sargassos of which there are several species on tropical shores are a genus of themselves and by themselves and a certain awe may if the beholder be at once scientific and poetical come over him at the first sight of this famous and unique variety thereof which has lost ages since the habit of growing on rock or sea-bottom but propagates itself forever floating, and feeds among its branches a whole family of fish, crabs, cuttlefish, zoophytes, mollusks, which, like the plant which shelters them, are found nowhere else in the world. And that awe, springing from the scientific use of the imagination, would be increased if he recollected the theory, not altogether impossible, that this sargasso, and possibly some of the animals which cling to it, marks the site of an Atlantic continent, sunk long ages since, and that transformed by the necessities of life from a rooting to a floating plant, still it remembers its august abodes, and wanders round and round as if in search of the rocks where once it grew we looked eagerly day by day for more and more gulfweed hoping that slimy things would crawl with legs upon that slimy sea and thought of the memorable day when columbus's ship first plunged her bows into the tangled ocean meadow and the sailors naturally enough were ready to mutiny fearing hidden shoals ignorant that they had four miles of blue water beneath their keel and half-recollecting old greek and phoenician legends of a weedy sea off the coast of africa where the vegetation stopped the ships and kept them entangled till all on board were starved day after day we passed more and more of it often in long processions ranged in the direction of the wind while a few feet below the surface here and there floated large fronds of lettuce-like weed, seemingly an ulva, the bright green of which, as well as the red-orange of the sargasso, brought out by the contrast of the intense blue of the water. Very remarkable, meanwhile and unexpected, was the opacity and seeming solidity of this ocean which looked down on from the bows. whether sapphire under the sunlight, or all but black under the clouds, or laced and streaked with beads of foam rising out of the nether darkness, it looked as though it could resist the hand, as if one might almost walk on it, so unlike any liquid as seen near shore or inland, is this leaping, heaving plain, reminding one, by its innumerable concordial curves, not of water, not even of ice but rather of obsidian. After all, we got little of the sargasso. Only in a sailing-ship and in calms or light breezes can its treasures be explored. Twelve knots an hour is a pace sufficient to tear off the weed, as it is hauled alongside, all living things which are not rooted to it. We got, therefore, no crustacea neither did we get a single specimen of the calamaries which may be described as cuttlefish carrying hooks on their arms as well as suckers the lingering descendants of a most ancient form which existed as far back as the era of the shallow oolitic seas x or y thousand years ago a tiny curled spirobus a lipararia with its thousand-fold cells and a tiny polyp belonging to the campanularius with a creeping stem which sends up here and there a yellow stalked bell where all the parasites we saw but the sargazo itself is a curious instance of the fashion in which one form so often mimics another of a quite different family When fresh out of the water, it resembles not a seaweed so much as a sprig of some willow-leafed shrub, burdened with yellow berries, large and small, for every broken bit of it seems growing and throwing out ever new berries and leaves, or what, for want of a better word, must be called leaves in a seaweed, for it must be remembered that the frond of a seaweed is not merely leaf. But root also that it not only breathes air but feeds on water and that even the so-called root by which the seaweed holds to the rock is really only an anchor holding mechanically to the stone but not deriving as the root of a land-plant would any nourishment from it therefore it is that to grow while uprooted and floating though impossible to most land-plants is easy enough to many seaweeds and especially to the Sargazo. the flying-fish now began to be a source of continual amusement as they scuttled away from under the bows of the ship mistaking her probably for some huge devouring whale so strange are they when first seen though long read of and looked for that it is difficult to recollect that they are actually fish. The first little one was mistaken for a dragonfly, the first big one for a grey plover. The flight is almost exactly like that of a quail or partridge flight, I must say, for in spite of all that has been learnedly written to the contrary, it was too difficult as yet for the English sportsmen on board to believe that their motion was not a true flight aided by the vibration of the wings, and not a mere impulse given as in the leap of a salmon by a rush under water. That they can change their course at will is plain to one who looks down on them from the lofty deck, and still more from the paddle-box. The length of the flight seems too great to be attributed to a few strokes of the tail while the plain fact that they renewed their flight after touching, and only touching, the surface, would seem to show that it was not due only to the original impetus, for that would be retarded, instead of being quickened, every time they touched. Such were our first impressions, and they were confirmed by what we saw on the voyage home. The nights, as yet, we will not say, disappointed us, For to see new stars like Canopus and Formalhot shining in the far south, even to see Sirius in his ever-changing blaze of red and blue, riding high in a December heaven, is interesting enough. But the brilliance of the stars is not, at least at this season, equal to that of the frosty sky in England nevertheless to make up for the deficiency the clouds were glorious so glorious that i longed again and again as i did afterwards in the west indies that mr ruskin were by my side to see and to describe as none but he can do the evening skies are fit weeds for widowed eos weeping over the dying sun thin formless rent in carelessness not in rage and of all the hues of early autumn leaves, purple and brown, with green and primrose lakes of air between. But all hues weakened, mingled, chastened into loneliness, tenderness, regretfulness, through which still shines, in endless vistas of clear western light, the hope of the returning day. More and more faint, the pageant fades below towards the white haze of the horizon where in sharpest contrast leaps and welters against it the black jagged sea and richer and richer it grows upward till it cuts the azure overhead until only too soon the sun's rim dips the stars rush out at one stride comes the dark to be succeeded after long balmy nights by a sunrise which repeats the colours of the sunset but this time gaudy dazzling triumphant as befits the season of faith and hope such imagery it may be said is hackneyed now and trite even to impertinence it may be so at home but here in presence of the magnificent pageant of tropic sunlight It is natural, almost inevitable, and the old myth of the daily birth and death of Helios and the bridal joys and widow tears of Eos reinvents itself in the human mind as soon as it asserts its power. It may be its sacred right to translate nature into the language of the feelings. End of Story 13 Biographical Notes Kingsley Charles, an English clergyman and author, born in Devonshire, 1819, died 1875. From 1844 until his death, he was rector of Eversley in Hampshire. In 1873, he was appointed Canon of Westminster and chaplain to Queen Victoria. He wrote Alton Locke and Yeast Two Years Ago, Hereward the Wake, Hypatia, and Westward Ho, and under the pen name of Parson Lott wrote much on Christian socialism, a charming book of travel, At Last and the Heroes, Glaucus and the Water Babies, prose ideals. Health and Education are some of his other books. His Life, by his widow, is the most interesting biography.